Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ideas Matter by William Collins. The big ideas of our times discussed by the brightest thinkers. What have you got for us? I've only bloody brought a cake in. It's 10.04am and the editors at William Collins, publishers of great writing for over 200 years, have gathered for the weekly podcast meeting. It's my favourite type of cake, you know, a decadent cheesecake, and I like its New York associations. It makes me feel glamorous. Tom, having lost a bet involving pagination, has been asked to bring in refreshments for the other editors, including... Arabella. What, what New York associations does cheesecake have? There's like a New York cheesecake, isn't that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. And Miles, spotting a chance to find out more about the young Tom, inquires further. Did you actually order the brand specifically? <laughs> is that what we're thinking I... about? Your childhood is basically based around Miss Molly's. Nothing to do. I've never encountered a Miss Molly's uh, branded cake. I'm usually much more of an own brand. I'm a, I'm a cooperative own brand cheesecake man. Are you? Well, <laughs> I know where that's coming from. Yeah. Um, I'm just cheap. But actually, what he's also brought in is Bella Mackey. Hi, I'm Bella Mackey, and today I'd like to talk about whether exercise can help alleviate some of the symptoms in our growing mental health crisis. Since you've read this book, have you started jogging? I would say that I have not jogged. But I would say that a couple of years ago, I went to the gym and I started rowing, and I got completely obsessed with it, and it genuinely did... Um, make me feel like I was about a thousand times sharper when I walked into the office and sometimes since then and since reading Jog On I have been known to go across the road to a small gym where I am am embarrassed to see many people who work at HarperCollins in various states of lycra and um, (laughs) hide from them but sometimes yeah I do I do do a bit of the exercise and I I genuinely do believe in the restorative properties of exercise well it's proven I think yeah absolutely I remember my like dolphins yeah and um, and Bella's book is obviously all about that and then she talks to a lot of the sort of the people who you know who can explain the, the science behind that but also people who just have amazing anecdotes about how they've turned their lives around from something as simple as a jog but she's, she's not just saying it's it doesn't just have to be jogging um miles you you're a cyclist do you subscribe to I, the restorative mental health properties i think it's i think actually exercise is the one thing that most people kind of miss out on when they're talking about you know making themselves feel better whether it's physically or mentally I think that's true it's brilliant for stress as well my husband was incredibly ill and went through a series mm. of appalling operations and i have never been fitter that's really? the way i coped with it i went running is that and that was just a response to that yeah that's interesting So, dear listener, let's fire up production of your endorphins as we hear from Bella Mackey in conversation with her editor, Tom Killingbeck. 
We begin as Bella describes her initial struggles to improve her mental health. There are a million suggestions out there, you know, for ways that you can help with your mental health. And loads of them are good and loads of them are bad. I did, you know, I tried lots of the bad ones in my 20s. And there are lots of people who will sell you things, don't buy those things. And then the other thing that's really important to say is that I had, at that point, found a therapist who I went to see for the first time the day my husband left just mm. before actually so it was quite good timing so by the time I went back the week after he was he was like oh we've really got some stuff to deal with now <laughs> so I had him he's great hi Barry and I had nice a nice family and you know financially I was really privileged so I could pay for a therapist and I took antidepressants so those are all really important things to start with because you know otherwise I'm just like running fixed me yeah exactly um, but I had a good basis and the running thing, yeah, I didn't... I think I probably sneered at the This Girl Can campaign yeah. previously. I think I thought, you know, this is patronising nonsense. And I thought... But I think a lot, of, a lot of the people and books that talk about this stuff, of which there are many brilliant ones, sometimes it does feel like, especially on the sort of much more commercial end of the market, some of these books sort of promise you that suddenly you're going to be this ripped, peppy mm. 21-year-old who only exists on chia seeds and 4am mm. starts. And one of the really refreshing things about you is that you're obviously not on a diet of just chia seeds. What do you mean, you obviously? You definitely don't wake what up do you mean at 4am. <laughs> so, so that is a kind of interesting thing because you're such a sceptic. You're like kind of like me. I am. Um, I'm, I, don't go, I don't read men's health and I don't go, no. ooh, I wish I could um, grate cheese on my abs. Mm. But what made someone who is so sceptical and sort of sneery pull on the lycra? Well, firstly, I was not wearing lycra the first time I did it, Tom. I was wearing the oldest track. Jeans and converse. Yeah, jeans and a leather jacket (laughs) and some heels. Yeah, no, I was. I was like a cynical arsehole about it and thought that running was, you know... I think I thought it was really um, elitist or exclusionary. You know, everyone was thin and, like, looked cool and, and I just thought it looked unachievable and therefore I mocked it. And then I think what I thought was, I can't go to the gym, I can't go and do a class... I can't go travelling on my own. I can't do an eat, pray, love thing because I'm scared. There were lots of things I couldn't do because I was scared or intimidated or whatever. And I think the way I come to see it is I was so locked into my brain and my brain was kind of in control of everything and I was sort of having obsessive thoughts for hours on end and blah, blah, blah. It's all so exhausting and boring and I think I wanted to break out of my head. And so I think that's why I thought of doing something physical because I thought if I'm able to do something with my body, maybe my brain will shut up for a bit. And I think I decided to do running because it was something I could do on my own in an alleyway away from everyone. And it was really only later that I realised that people say you should do running for anxiety. <laughs> I'm an idiot and I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I stumbled upon it and then found out later and was like, oh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Almost like I'd in fact like invented it. I was like, guys, did you know that you should go running? It's amazing for anxiety. Everyone was like, yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> it was a gradual thing, wasn't it? I did the kind of couch to 5k path because I'd read that Charlie Brooker had done it and I thought if Charlie Brooker can do it yeah like he was sort of talking about smoking 20 fags a day and and being sort of really cynical and then was like oh but by the way I write this from Tokyo where I've just used the running machine in the hotel and I'm you know I'm now addicted so I thought if Charlie Brooker doesn't think it's the worst then maybe it's not the worst that's an interesting word addicted yeah you do get addicted to running totally and do you think it's a completely beneficial addiction no it can be so unhealthy I've had times in my life where I've tipped way too much over into the kind of you are becoming slightly controlling and obsessive about about this yeah like running twice a day is like probably not something you need to do but I have done that. What's your life. current sort of, now that you're sort of 
you've been through this whole journey of becoming a runner. Yeah, I am a runner. Yeah. <laughs> How, what, what's your sort of regime leveled out at? Like, what's an average week look like in terms of running? So before I started writing the book, I think I was probably quite balanced in that, you know, I was working full time and probably ran f- four or five times a week. But writing this book, you and Collins has ruined me, William Collins. <laughs> Because now I have all this time and I'm like, oh, I can run every day and I can run for hours. So I've like completely ruined my knees because (laughs) I've run more this year than ever before. It's terrible being freelance because either you want to just sit in your house and eat ice cream or you're like, oh, I can go for a run for five hours. So I run every day now, which is probably not great. What do you think, so someone who's reading your book who, like me, has probably, you know, quit their gym membership in 2016 and probably needs to get a little bit fitter... (laughs) What sort of would be we be aiming for as a sort of end result in terms of a manageable thing that you can actually live with? I think a manageable thing that you actually live with is 5K three times a week. And that takes half an hour. Build up to it, you know, with an app or however you sort of choose to do it. Do it slowly. I did three minutes at a time when I first started. I, I was not running even a kilometre when I first started. But I think three times a week, 5K is... A really love. I think 5K is like a really lovely sweet spot. You feel like you've done something. You feel like you've achieved something. Half an hour is a really lovely time because you've sort of got over the worst 10 minutes where you feel like you can't do it and you're not overly exhausted. So you sort of don't have that excuse where you think, oh, I just, you know, I can't, I can't do it after work or... Also, I think running to and from work, if you, if you commute like, you know, within an hour or whatever, I think it's a really lovely way to either wake up in the mornings or to kind of burst out of office life in the evenings. Yeah, I think if you're able-bodied and lucky enough to use your legs, then I think three times a week is sort of the minimum. <laughs> it sounds doable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you see, honestly, once you get... That's the other thing, is that running rewards you by giving you this kind of rush and waking you up, and your body starts wanting to do it. So it's not always like dragging yourself out of bed three times a week. You know, you, you do start looking forward to it. It doesn't take very long. Although, I, you know, there are still times when I really... I went for a run this morning and I did not want to go. But, you know, 20 minutes in, I thought, okay, I'm feeling better. And then when I got home, I had ice cream. And then I thought, as I always think, which is you never regret a run. You regret not going, but you don't regret a run unless you kind of fall over or something. I think this book has struck a chord because anxiety is becoming a much more common thing Mm. or at least a much more visible thing. Mm. When you were writing this book, you spoke to a lot of people Mm. from sportsmen to psychologists to mental health professionals. And it feels like, you know, people say this this is a mental health crisis Mm. and people say this is sort of the age of anxiety. But I wonder what you think is meaning that we need these books more and more and that more more and more people are talking about mental health. Yeah, I think a lot about this because when I was doing the book, I was sort of researching kind of how old is anxiety and how old is you know obsessive compulsive disorder because obviously you do think of these as modern phenomenons and there were priests writing about anxiety 500 years ago and people sort of perfectly describing anxiety you know in sort of 1500 (laughs) and to me that's quite reassuring because I think anxiety is a a very human condition it's sort of it's obviously been around through our entire existence and the numbers do seem to back it up They're, they're slightly vague on it but It does seem to suggest that there are more reported cases of of anxiety and depression. And that might be because more people are getting help. So it might be a good thing in that more people are are seeking help than would have in previous generations. And that certainly seems like quite a strong argument to me, that the sort of lessening of stigma means that people are, are looking for help, which means the numbers are higher. But I think we woefully underfund mental health services in this country. You know, for all the pledges of money, you know, waiting lists for 
CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, are in some places 18 months long. When I went to see my GP 15 years ago, it was six six months long. But, you know, even then I just, I remember thinking, I cannot wait six months for that. You know, I don't want to trivialise mm. physical illness, but, you know, you wouldn't tell a cancer patient that they had to wait six months for chemotherapy. And, you know, how can you tell someone that feels like they can't go on living that they have to wait 18 months for professional help. So I think the rise in books like mine or initiatives or talking about it, you know, charities pushing back against stigma are all brilliant and amazing. And I'm so happy to see men talking about mental health problems more and I'm so happy to see that once you say you have anxiety or depression, the first reaction is not usually one of fear or sort of disgust anymore. But on the other hand, these kind of books and discussions of, of things that you can do apart from therapy and medication are brilliant. But in an ideal world, would we have them? I mean, mm. if we were getting a proper NHS mental health treatment service, I, I still think you should go for a run. I think that with mental health, you have to give yourself as many tools in the toolbox as possible. You need to have all the armour. And... I think physical health is is undeniably amazing for mental health, but it's difficult. I just I think if you weren't on a waiting list for eighteen months to have therapy, and if there wasn't such a stigma about mm. entering therapy and actually sort of and drugs. Go, going to doctors, mm. it feels like at school and just more generally, people feel like going to the doctor about this is more of a last resort. Maybe that's just me. But no, I don't think it is. I think well, that's the thing. I think I've had lots of people get in touch with me about the book, saying you know. I feel very anxious at the moment or I feel very sad at the moment and, I, you know, I think maybe I should start running and I think it's brilliant, you know, and I always, always try and reply and help them and suggest ways they can do it. But lots of those people haven't been to the doctor. Mm. I, are they embarrassed? Do they not want to waste the doctor's time? You know, do they think maybe their problem isn't as serious as, you know, someone else's problem? And I would say it's not top trumps, you know, if you feel yeah. sad or anxious or uncontrollable intrusive thoughts or whatever it is, you know, you deserve help just like anyone else. I think it's brilliant that the stigma is is loosening and I think we've still got quite a long way to go. I think it's brilliant that people have lots of options, ways to deal with it, things that might make them feel better. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How do you think sort of the landscape of like online and social media and everything has fed into this? Because it does feel like when these discussions come, you know, people discuss these things, that's such a... a a thing that people flock to as if it mm. as if it breeds anxiety and what's your take on that because you know obviously you use social media mm. and actually an interesting thing is that in your writing and being a magazine journalist and then being an author people are coming to you saying I, i'm anxious i have this problem i have this, this problem i'm not going to a doctor i'm going to you bella mackie mm, yeah there's a responsibility there for you mm. but as someone who's you know grown up around this stuff do you think it exacerbates things do you think it it offers in some ways the internet does offer you can wikipedia or dot, do not dot do gov, not google you your symptoms <laughs> <laughs> i think that it's not just social media it's the internet and it's all media you know i think the media has historically been terrible on mental health lots of sections of the media still are terrible on mental health Social media. What, what are this? Would, do you I mean, to name them? No, I don't know. You necessarily name them, but <laughs> <laughs> what do you? Th- but, but how do you think it's been trivialised, or how has it been? Well, I remember tabloid headlines about kind of psycho massacre killer, you know, mental mm. mental man, and then the mockery of people who are vulnerable, who clearly have mental health problems, but are used by reality TV shows or you know pictures of people running naked down streets and, and, and printed even though these people clearly need help. The sort of the conflation of mental health problems with people who are dangerous which is you know just such a huge kind of fallacy in most cases. Headlines like sad, bad and mad. I mean they're just But away from the sort of more controversial like you know look at this man running yeah. naked down the street headlines how do you view the sort of culture of mental health journalism? <laughs> because I think there's so much advice out there. But how do you feel like the general... Do you think it's, it's improved? Definitely better. Could be even better. You know, I think there are still lots of sexist tropes around mental health, like neurotic women. And there are lots of things that don't help men as well. You know, men can't be sad, etc. Mm. I think it's a learning curve for all of us, though. You know, I think there are probably stories that I wouldn't have published when I was commissioning editor by people who were probably more vulnerable than I'd realised. You know, I think we should all be better reporting suicide, for example. You know, I think the way people report suicide is is really irresponsible and sort of literally contravenes mental health charities' Mm. guidelines on it. And in terms of social media, I think social media probably can make us all feel more anxious. You know, it's a bit John Ronson, so you've been publicly shamed, you Mm. know. We're all sort of only five minutes away from being run off the internet in, in derision for something. Since you started writing articles and you've now written a book you're looked up to by lots of people online i really am not looked up to by anyone if not looked up to but people have come to you people have have come to you with their problems yeah they have Um, and you're like heavily followed when you created this sort of toolkit of running Mm. to manage your anxiety you you got to a point by the end of the book you're really managing to cope and you, mm. you know as you said last year you got on the tube i mm. remember you sort of tweeting a picture mm. of you with your book on the tube having sort of overcome it which felt like a bit of a, vic- tube a, vi- a victory lap yep. but i wonder in the wake of you know b- becoming more of a twitter you know you have a, a famous husband and a, a bunch of instagram <laughs> followers now does some of that stuff on a personal level the social media stuff affect you and does it play with your anxiety at all yeah i think 
I'm a bit of an oversharer. I sort yeah. of, you know, if someone asks me a question, I will tell them the answer. Um, that's my way of trying to make people be my friend. So I've probably always used Twitter in a kind of quite unprofessional manner, even when I was sort of working at newspapers, being quite free and, and chatty. And yeah, that sort of does bring trolls. Being a woman brings trolls. If you're a woman and a person of colour, I would imagine that's much, much worse. I'm sort of lucky in that respect that I'm I'm sort of middle class and, and white and I guess I sort of get left alone quite a lot in ways that, you know, I've got friends that just get mercilessly abused online. There are people have been nasty to me. Piers Morgan set his followers on me the other day and they were all calling me lots of really rude words. Presumably if that had happened when you were 25 or something and you were in the height of your mm. anxious phase, mm. that would have sent you into a spiral? It did. There were things in my 20s. There were things on social media that were, you know, working at The Guardian, some things like there would be sort of days when people would pile on you. And I remember being in hysterical tears, you know, shaking constantly. It would flip like me dreading out. dreading the comment section. Yeah, it would yeah. flip me out. So yeah, I do think that things like running, going back to running, mm. not just running, obviously, but, you know, when you do have those kind of tools in your arsenal, you realise how much they help you with everyday life in that you do grow a thicker skin, you are able to shrug things off because you have confidence in yourself. You know, I sort of, mm. I know it sounds like a thin you know, fragile thread to weave. But once I realised that I could run 5K, which kind of was one of the first achievements I felt, honestly, like I'd made in my life, I felt quite like I sort of failed at everything before. And when I did that, I remember just feeling like I genuinely could fly. And it was the first thing I'd done on my own. And and so once you've done things like that, whatever it is, you know, be it paragliding or, I don't know, learning a language or whatever it is, that sense of achievement was so incredible that I felt new confidence. Yeah. And... Running 5K led me to being able to get on a tube and, and get a new job and get married again and all of those things because... Do you I really was, think that? You yeah, think no, that, I honestly do yeah. think that. Yeah, it's not I'm, not... I'm not sort of trying to be a Hallmark card, I, but I genuinely do. I can connect those things directly from running to having a foundation of something I've done myself, feeling confident, feeling like I've achieved something and knowing that I can fall back on something that, that I have when I need to and that always yeah it always gives me the confidence to think well if I did that I can do this and I, should I try this and and testing testing out those things a bit like exposure therapy you know like you hold a spider until you're bored of it yeah. rather than scared of it you know so I would sort of I would test things out and I think learning that not everything was going to be the catastrophe I thought it was do you think it had to be running or do you think there are other ways to to sort of to manage your anxiety, I think. and you know maybe that maybe that's sort of antidepressants. What other options do you think there were, and why yeah. do you think it was running? So I think it it could have been other things. I cleaved onto running and sort of stayed there because I probably do have kind of an addictive or obsessive personality about I get sort of very into one thing. So for me, I did that initial run to kind of probably just try and slough off a bit of the physical anxiety mm. and found something that worked and stuck with that. But when I ask people, in, you know, in the book, what do they do to kind of mitigate depression and, and worry? There were just endless different answers, you know, from boxing to knitting to cooking. One guy said he cooks, he cooked different types of chicken recipes every night until he wasn't sad anymore. Mm. And I think it took literally like 60 days. Amazing. <laughs> And so I don't think it has to be physical. I don't think it has to be every day. A lot of these things have in common, you know, knitting or cooking mm. or doing puzzles or running. They're all sort of focusing the mm -hmm. brain and giving people something to sort of mm -hmm. completely focus their mind on that isn't themselves. What do you think about antidepressants? Because that's the one 
those things that isn't that it's a medical cure mm-hmm. and do you, did you use them do you still use them so just going back to that thing about baking or sewing yeah. or whatever I think all of those things you're doing with your hands mm. and I think that it moves your brain into a different field same with running it forces your brain to do something else and with running that's for me that makes me feel like running you know my brain is taking a back seat and I love cooking and I think that's mm. that's probably a similar thing for me I use cooking and baking as a kind of I'm using my hands and I'm creating something which I think mental health problems often make you feel like you are unable to make or create or have big ideas or mm. and I think being able to make like something tangible like a cake or a you know gardening or producing flowers or knitting I think those are making things and again I think that can really provide confidence if you're able to create something without music's another one yeah. which is often talked about as something that staves off depression mm. I mean all of these things I think there's a beauty in making something or learning something you know that your brain the sort of sad and unhappy and angry part of your brain doesn't get to grab onto completely it sort of can't it can't own that moment which i think is probably why but antidepressants i think that's one of the areas in which we haven't done as well as a society as we should have talking about antidepressants and the stigma around antidepressants i think is still mega i started taking them when i was 22 23 when it just got so bad that i sort of i remember sort of thinking i sort of want to die i wouldn't ever do that mm. But I sort of don't want to live. And I, I remember even feeling that unwell, thinking, oh, I, I think I should probably take these. And the writer, Bryony Gordon, actually talks about it in her book. She says she looked at the like the list of side effects on the packet. And there are things like, you know, hot sweats and, mm. you know, putting on weight and, and sleeplessness and, and, and worse things like, you know, liver failure. And she just thought, I would rather have all of these things than, hmm. than yeah. feel how I'm feeling. So I hopped on them like immediately. And I was lucky. Like, I think lots of people that I've, I've met and talked to had to try a few different types of antidepressant before they found the one that works for them but I just found one that worked for me and actually all they did was they pulled me out of the worst worst feelings you know the kind of staring at walls crying for 15 hours a day despair Mm. and got me to a sort of oh I'm not crying anymore and I can go to the shop and I can maybe see a future and the rest of it I'll have to work on but I can maybe get there now and I think they just give you that literally like a leg up in your conversations around the book did you find that people when they talked about antidepressants had felt different effects and that there's a sort of various different experiences it's not a precise thing antidepressants you know they're not still doctors aren't 100 percent sure mm. what they're working on lots of people will have to um have the doctor under doctor's supervision sort of experiment with dosage mm. takes a while to start working sometimes you can feel worse before you feel better on them which i think a lot of people sometimes they stop taking them because of it and lots of people do get side effects you know i've got friends who one friend who had erectile dysfunction from them and another friend who did put on weight from antidepressants but normally what happens then is your doctor will give you another antidepressant and you won't experience those side effects and the other thing that i people told me about in the book was yes i took them but you know i couldn't wait to get off them and i've come off them now three months later or you know whatever this rush to come off them because i don't know what if you're on them for a long time then yeah then what i don't know what the i used to kind of race to try and come off them in my 20s and I used to come off them and I'd come off them at bad times or too quickly or and I'd feel terrible again and I think after a while I thought maybe this is like a drug for diabetes maybe mm. it's something that I might have to be on forever and maybe that's okay you know maybe if I looked at it like I was looking at sort of a drug for high blood pressure would I feel bad about that and would I would it bother me if I yeah. did have to take it every day so I take them on and off I take them you know when I feel like I need them probably I'll always do that my whole life probably 
And that's one really interesting thing about, you know, reading the book and talking to you about all the stuff is that, you know, you see people saying there's a, you know, the cure, promising the cure for anxiety. Mm. And you're very careful to sort of use the word manage mm-hmm. or, or not use the word cure. And I wonder what you'd say to someone who listening to this and is in that position of you, you were in your early 20s where mm. anxiety has become a really a big shadow in their life that's sort of looming over them about in a practical sense what you've learned about how how to manage it yeah i think it's really important to say i don't think you can cure mental health problems i think you can learn to live with them well and that they're not going to guide your whole life but that you do have to learn to live with them and the success is in them not dictating everything and and you having a brilliant life despite them with them there are things about anxiety that make me very empathetic so it's not all horrendous but yeah I would be very wary of ever sort of searching for a cure again or or feeling ashamed of what it is it just it is what it is you know it's just it's like any any other health problem that people are unlucky enough to have think about girls in their 20s or teens or you know not just girls boys as well I speak to lots of them you know who feel lost and miserable and whose parents are desperately worried about them and probably what I would say is get help go and see a professional if the professional you see is crap go and see someone else because you deserve to see someone good who's not going to dismiss you or make you feel bad and then I would say it will get better I know it sounds trite but as my mother used to say to me when I was sort of sobbing hysterically this this too shall pass and you know I would never have imagined that I'd be sitting here at 35 you know not having panic attacks, not having intrusive thoughts, or at least able to deal with them when I do, that I have some kind of a job and I have a husband and I have a dog and and I'm not scared to do things anymore. And there are lots of ways and lots of things you can try to get to that stage. And I think I'd say don't give up trying to find the one that works. It might not be running, it might not be antidepressants, but there are so many things out there and you are living in an age where... There is less stigma surrounding this stuff than ever before. So try and grab every offer of help you can and talk to everyone that will listen. And I promise you there are better days. I promise there are. I wouldn't say it if I didn't if I didn't really mean that. You mentioned that anxiety wasn't all bad and that some of your personality traits might have been exacerbated by it that actually turned into positives. Like you mentioned your sort of sense of humour. And also your sort of oversharingness and, mm. you know, some of that stuff that as a journalist suddenly becomes actually quite an advantage. I just wonder, would you, without your anxiety, do you think you'd be a personality wise a very different person? And do you think that coming through it all, were there, were there any, not really a positive, mm. but like things that wouldn't make you you if you hadn't? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, I probably am not one of those people that would say I wouldn't take it away if I could you know and I think yeah. there are people that you know would say that about about various health problems that they have I probably would if you offered me a, a magic wand I would probably give it back to you but as a teenager before it sort of really kicked in hard I was probably a bit of an ass, and I probably wouldn't have maybe become as empathetic as I think I am which is such a braggy thing to say <laughs> but I think I am able to understand and not help with but I think I'm help- I'm able to understand other people going through hard times and I'm able to spot it sometimes when it's mm. happening and I think one really brilliant positive of having sort of massive anxiety and, and OCD and stuff and weird thoughts and irrational things going on I think has been that when anyone in my life has had anything mental health wise they've all come to me really and said oh, this is how I feel. And and I hope I've been able to sort of 
show that it's normal and it's okay and and we've been able to laugh about it and because I think I'm quite comfortable talking about it now you know I will be honest with you I'll, I'll tell you kind of weird symptoms and and so I hope that having anxiety means that I've I've not been dismissive of other people when they've been suffering and I think it makes me more thoughtful only because you know if you've got anxiety you sort of think about everything constantly all the friggin time Bella Mackey thanks so much for coming in to talk to me thanks so much for having me that was Bella Mackey in conversation with Tom Killingbeck our programme today was brought to you by William Collins, an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers, and was produced by Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. You can buy Jog On, How Running Saved My Life as a hardback, audiobook or e-book, where Bella Mackey dives even deeper into the ideas discussed this week. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more information about the author, plus a link to the Ideas Matter page at Apple Books, where you can find all the authors and books featured throughout this series. Keep an eye out for the first chapter from the audiobook of Jog On, which will appear in this feed on Friday. And we'll meet you back here next week when we will be discussing how to build a human brain with Philip Ball. It does raise that concern that that sort of bridge has now been crossed and the temptation is there. But, you know, it's interesting to compare it with what happened in the early days of IVF, where, again, many people had concerns about the safety of the procedure and yet they went ahead. To hear that episode first, don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify and on Acast. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.